This is a podcast from ABC Local Radio Overnights. I'm Rod Quinn. A report out this week from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare had good news and bad news when it came to skin cancer in Australia. So here's the good news. Skin cancer rates have dropped for people under the age of 40. That's great news. But the bad news is that since 1982, the rate of melanoma in the general community has almost doubled. So how do we balance these things out? Skin cancers account for the largest numbers of cancers diagnosed in Australia each year. Why is this? We've had the slip-slop-slap message for, what, 30 years or so, more than that. Is it not getting through? Is it not getting through to the right people? Or is just this is just what we need to expect in what we call the sunburnt country? Not only the country is, but the people who live here get sunburnt. Joining us this morning to discuss this is spokesperson for the Australasian College of Dermatologists, Dr. Stephen Schumach. Doctor, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Rod. And thank you very much for getting up so early to talk to us. It is my pleasure. Have you ever had a uh, skin cancer, a melanoma? Uh, I, I haven't had a melanoma, but I've uh, certainly had a couple of skin cancers. And uh, this is related to um, my age and uh, basically what I did when I was a kid or a teenager out in the sun in those days in the 60s uh, without a hat and without sunscreen. So is that why people under the age of 40 the numbers have declined, is it because that that message has been getting through for the last 30-odd years? Look, we think so. Uh, What's happened, the slip, slop, slap campaign, which uh, began basically in the uh, late 70s, um, has been running um, then as the SunSmart campaign in the 1980s. And we've been very uh, good in Australia at uh, explaining the importance of sun protection, particularly to children and teenagers. And in fact, this program or these programs that have run in Australia have been the envy of uh, many other countries in the world. And what we think has happened is that uh, these groups, uh, children that were in the 70s and 80s and 90s, have now spent uh, 30 or 40 years without the sort of sun exposure that their parents got as children and teenagers, and they're reaping the benefits. In other words, the skin cancer rates are dropping in that age group. In other words, people up until the age of about 40, 45. Okay. There's also another part of that, which is a problem, which is vitamin D levels, but that's not what we're talking about this morning, that maybe some young people don't have enough vitamin D. Well, there's certainly uh, some discussion about that, and there has been some discussion about that over the last uh, decade or so. But in general, most people, particularly young people that get out for a few minutes, will get uh, sufficient sun exposure. And what we have seen, uh, uh, particularly over the last few years, are some people who have already had skin cancers deliberately sun exposing them to try and uh, increase their levels of uh, vitamin D. When, um, you know, if you're low in vitamin D, you can just take a pill. Yeah, indeed. So for those over the age of 40, for example, where there has been an increase, how early, much earlier in their life has the exposure to the sun had the effect? So is it something when they're 10, 15, 20 or whatever, and then 30 years after that, they're developing skin cancer because of that early exposure to the sun? That's quite right. I mean, what happens is that um, if you look at an average Australian at the age of 60, 
uh, we know that around about 50% of that 60-year-old's lifetime sun exposure has occurred before they're 20. So in other words, uh, we all spend most of the time that we uh, spend in the sun before we're out of the teenage years. So when you think about it, that's fairly logical. You know, that's when we uh, have the long summer holidays at school. Uh, we're usually out playing um, uh, in the sun. And in particularly those people over 40, uh, sunscreens or good sunscreens weren't really available when they were children uh, or teenagers. Uh, sun exposure during those sort of years damages uh, the genetic components of the uh, skin cells and uh, causes some immunological um, effects uh, on the skin. And what happens 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, uh, those changes that occurred when these people were kids or teenagers um, show up as skin cancers. And that's why it tends to occur predominantly in people over the age of 40 or 50. I even saw something the other day that people don't put um, sunscreen on properly. That's right. I mean, uh, the SPF or the sun protection factors that uh, we have for uh, sunscreen uh, are uh, designed to occur when you put it on actually quite thickly. And the only way people do that uh, properly is when they're given a big bottle of sunscreen and they're asked uh, to put it on liberally with an underline under the word liberally. So most people only put sunscreen on about as half as thick as you really need to to get that um, SPF factor that you have on the bottle. Um, so therefore most sunscreens under, uh, under protecting uh, uh, people's skin. Now, um, the types of skin cancers that you are seeing now, especially in people over the age of 40, what are the, the most prominent ones and what are the differences between them? Well, there's generally thought to be um, uh, two types of uh, skin cancer that most people know about. There's um, melanomas, which are, of course, the, um, the nasty ones. If you get a melanoma and you leave it, uh, that can uh, potentially lead to a fatal outcome. So melanomas are important to detect, important to detect early. And uh, we know uh, from statistics over the years that if you cut out a melanoma early that you've got uh, a more than 90% chance of um, uh, being uh, cured from that melanoma. Uh, and they uh, comprise um, uh, around about uh, 13,000 per year in Australia. So there's about 13,000 new cases of melanoma diagnosed in Australia per year. But the much more common types of skin cancer are what we call non-melanoma skin cancers and there's really two main types of that that's basal cell carcinomas which are the common type and there's probably more than 200,000 per year in Australia of those and then there's squamous cell carcinomas which are the second commonest type and there's around about 100,000 of those per year in Australia. And in fact, the other interesting statistic is that uh, uh, people with uh, generally pale skin, which is um, um, uh, the majority of Australians, about two-thirds of us will get uh, a basal cell carcinoma, that's an ordinary type of skin cancer, before we're 70. So more than half of Australians will get a BCC before they're 70 which is an ordinary type of skin cancer. Okay, and I'm one of them, and I've had it, and I've got now a scar on my forehead the size of about a 20-cent piece. They told me that it wouldn't look like that, but that's what it looks like. <laughs> but I suppose it's a small price to pay. What happens if you have a uh, basal cell carcinoma like that and it goes untreated? It's not going to kill you, but what's going to happen? Well, basal cell carcinomas, uh, as I mentioned, are the commonest type, and uh, what happens if you leave them, they just continue to grow. 
And um, this happens over a period of uh, years or even sometimes decades. Now, in the olden days, uh, they were often referred to as rodent ulcers. In other words, it was an area that a rat had bitten you and you end up with this great big sore. And sometimes if that's on your ear or on your nose or around your eye, uh, the basal cell carcinoma can extend and destroy the ear, nose or eye. So it's important to have them treated, um, but it's important to also understand that they tend to grow fairly slowly and uh, sometimes they're not all that visible. So people can have them for a couple of years before they even realise they've got right. them. So with the melanoma, why is it that it is fatal for some people and not for others? That's a very difficult question to answer. I mean, what happens is that uh, melanomas uh, grow, again, moderately slowly. I mean, the doubling time, that's uh, the time it takes for a melanoma that you've got to double in size, is anywhere from two to four months. Uh, so they grow, you know, relatively slowly. It's not over a period of a few days or a few weeks. And we know that the bigger the melanoma is, uh, the more likely it is that some small cells uh, break off from that melanoma and travel through, through the uh, bloodstream or the lymphatics to other areas of the body and in particular areas like the liver or the brain and it's when the melanoma gets into those areas that it causes problems and that's what usually ends up being the, uh, uh, the fatal event. So, okay, we're told, look for changes in dark spots or whatever, but if they're on your back or in their part of your, in the, if they are on the part of a body you can't easily see, what happens then? I think it's important um, if you are um, um, susceptible, and don't forget most Australians are susceptible to melanoma, to get into a, a habit of uh, probably checking your skin on a regular basis and it's often easier doing this with, uh, with a partner or with a friend or with a family member and uh, we often recommend that people uh, check themselves every season so the first of every uh, season, spring, summer, autumn and winter uh, take off your clothes, have a mirror um, have your family friend or partner and look at your skin and what you're really looking for is something which uh, looks different uh, something which has uh, changed, uh, something which has altered over that preceding uh, three months. Because as I mentioned before, three months is about the time that it takes uh, for a melanoma to, uh, to double in size. So if you see something that's odd-looking, uh, something that's particularly black, uh, flat, uh, irregular, or has changed over that period of time, it's probably worth uh, getting a GP to have a bit of a look at it as well. Okay. And again, it's, you know, we're mostly, many of us, are from a European background, you know, whether it's recent or, you know, decades or generations ago, and that is what makes it more susceptible. What about people with darker skin? How are they affected? Well, melanomas can certainly occur in, um, in anyone, uh, regardless of their skin colour. But it's much more common uh, in people with, uh, with paler skin. And uh, the worst of the paler skin people tend to be those with red hair and uh, very pale skin and freckles. So the darker your skin is, the less likely you are to uh, develop melanoma, uh, particularly on the exposed areas of your skin, such as the arms or the back or the legs. Um, people with very dark skin can sometimes develop melanomas in areas such as the uh, palms or soles. Uh, or on areas like the lips or even in the genital areas. But it's much, much less common. So as a general rule, the darker you are, 
um, the far, the much less likely you are to develop a melanoma. Okay. So it's a condition that predominantly occurs in paler, white-skinned individuals. And we're talking to Dr. Stephen Schumach, spokesperson for the Australasian College of Dermatologists. And we'll take some calls in a moment if you've got any questions whatsoever about this. Of course, I will point out that uh, Dr. Schumach is here to give general advice. And if you have concerns about your own situation, then, of course, go to your local GP. Um, Family history. My father also had uh, skin cancer taken off his forehead. How um, important is family history when it comes to your susceptibility to it? Family history is uh, is really very important, and uh, it's important uh, uh, for two reasons. One, it gives you um, uh, an idea of your genetic makeup. So, uh, people with pale skin have, tend to have children with pale skin, who are obviously at more risk of um, developing skin cancers or, or melanomas. And then, of course, we've also got the uh, environment. So, uh, families tend to holiday together. Um, have the similar sorts of uh, uh, rates of sun exposure, particularly as children or, or teenagers, and that uh, also is important as far as the development of skin cancer is concerned. So what parts of the body also are perhaps more likely to suffer something that is serious? Most um, non-melanoma skin cancers, that's basal cell carcinomas and squamous cell carcinomas, um, uh, tend to occur on sun-exposed areas. So they're much more common areas like the face, uh, the scalp and people who are losing hair, areas like the ears, the nose, the forearms, the hands and the upper trunk. Um, whereas melanomas are a little bit different and uh, uh, while the rates are a little bit more common in those areas which are sun-exposed, uh, such as the back and the face, uh, they can also occur in areas which are not routinely sun-exposed such as the buttocks or the soles or the palms. And uh, this is because uh, with melanomas particularly, there's a degree of, um, um, uh, there's a relationship to the immune system. And sometimes the immune system uh, can be reduced all over the skin uh, with sun exposure in other areas of the body. So you might get sun exposure on the back or the face and the skin immunity might be reduced in some other areas, which can predispose to the development of uh, a melanoma in those areas. Mm. One of our texters, Shane, says, I'm 48 years old, I've always been outside most of the year, I don't wear hats, I don't wear anything more than a tank top, and have never worn sunscreen in my life. I don't use moisturiser and still have good skin and look much younger than my age. Now, again, we emphasise... Stephen Schumach cannot comment on Shane's situation, but in a situation like that, um, why is it that somebody like that wouldn't develop uh, skin cancer? Uh, as you say, look, it's hard to comment individually, but, um, uh, you know, he's only 40, and, uh, you know, he's got another 40-odd years. He's 48. To, so 48, he's only 48. So, yeah. um, he's, only, he's got a, another, you know, uh, 30 or 40 years to go, and um, uh, it is likely uh, that he will develop um, um, uh, problems further down the track. Um, as we know from this survey, uh, people under the, four, under the age of 40 tend to do better. Um, mostly that's related to um, uh, sun protective uh, measures that uh, they had when they were teenagers and uh, children. But we also know that uh, uh, there's a long lead-in period between uh, getting your sun exposure and developing the changes related to that, including skin cancers. So uh, uh, this chap may not have reached that period of time yet. So um, it's never too late to uh, 
uh, protect as far as your skin is concerned mm -hmm. and uh, any sort of protection will delay uh, the future development of skin cancers. We should remember that Richie Benno was in his 80s and he died of that and that was because he was, I mean, that was an extreme case probably given that he spent a lot of time at cricket matches, obviously, on the field for hours, six hours at a time, perhaps out in the sun without any cap on and his shirt always open. But again, then again, you know, for the rest of his life, he spent time at cricket field. So out in the sun, either coaching or playing or whatever. Um, and that didn't really catch up with him until he was in his 80s. Well, we know that uh, also from the statistics. So uh, included in this report is so, uh, what they call age-specific incidence rates. And what that means is uh, how likely you are uh, to develop a skin cancer or melanoma uh, depending on your age. And we know that if you're over 80, you are five times more likely uh, to develop a melanoma, five times more likely to develop a melanoma uh, than somebody who's uh, at the age of uh, 60. Mm. So uh, the, the rates dramatically increase the older you get. And you're probably going to be more likely to be indoors after the age of 80 than being out spending a long time in the sun. So this, again, goes back to when you may have you know, started to develop this through exposure to the sun much, much uh, earlier. That's right. And, um, you know, there's actually even some evidence suggesting that particularly with melanoma, uh, what's um, uh, more important um, from the point of view of sun exposure is really the sun exposure, particularly sunburns that you had uh, before the age of uh, 16 or 17. So in other words, in your uh, early uh, teenage years or your childhoods, uh, childhood years, uh, rather than what uh, you actually did as far as sun exposure is concerned later on. Uh, whereas we know that with the ordinary types of uh, non-melanoma skin cancers, uh, they are uh, more related to the greater accumulated level of sun exposure. In other words, the more sun you get over your lifetime, the more likely you are to get uh, those particular skin cancers. On ABC Local Radio, you're with Rod Quinn and uh, Dr Stephen Schumach is with us, uh, spokesperson for the Australasian College of Dermatologists. And now is your opportunity to ask a question. I will again emphasise that Dr Schumach is not here to uh, conduct consultations, but he certainly can give advice of a general nature and we would love to hear from you. We'll start with Chris. Good morning, Chris. Oh, good morning, Dr Schumacher. Dr Schumach, it is, yep. Yes. Yes, Chris, what would you like to ask? Oh, I was uh, one of those people who laid out in the sun to get a tan when I was young. And now I'm suffering from uh, 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 spots on my skin which are rough. They come up, they're itchy, and they come up all over my body. Oh uh, not only, only in sort of uh, 10 cent piece right. sizes. Have you seen a doctor about this, Chris? Oh, yes, okay. I've been having them burned off so oh, much. Dear, yes. And uh, it. it it, it is just uh, sort of taking over, if you know what I mean. Um, Chris, I think what you've got there are what we call um, sunspots. 
Uh, the other name for those are um, uh, solar keratoses or actinic keratoses. And we know that sunspots um, are also related to uh, a lifetime of uh, sun exposure. And uh, some of these, a small number of these, can turn into skin cancers, particularly squamous cell carcinomas. Yeah. So I think that's probably what you've got. And this is uh, probably related, as you say, to um, when you were younger, spending a lot of time in the sun trying to get that uh, fabulously good, at thought at the time, um, uh, suntan. Yes, very foolish. Well, uh, yes, indeed, Chris. But it was just a general trend when we were young. Everybody did it. Yeah. Chris, okay, we wish you the best of luck with that, but it's the case, isn't it, uh, Stephen, that uh, you see people lying out in the sun, getting burnt, you think, what are you doing? That's right, and um, uh, we know uh, that um, from general advertising, in other words, uh, the background uh, colour of the skin, uh, the white skin of, um, of uh, models and advertising people have, uh, have reduced. So ads uh, in the 1960s and 1970s often had very suntan models. Uh, these days, uh, people um, uh, tend to have much paler skin in those uh, same advertising um, uh, shots. So there's been a bit of a swing away from feeling that uh, it's fabulous to have uh, dark and suntanned skin, mainly because we know uh, that sun exposure that causes the suntan uh, also causes the damage, which causes things such as the development of skin cancers and, of course, age-related changes as well, such as wrinkling and various blemishes that people get on the skin uh, as well with age and, and uh, a previous sun exposure. Okay, you'll get to some more calls in a moment. Steve texts in, I'm in my mid-50s, I've had regular skin cancer checks. I now have a small, invisible but sensitive spot on my forehead, like a pinprick when touched. Should I have this checked? Look, I think he should. Um, we know that um, uh, he's in that sort of age group in the 50s uh, where skin cancers uh, are more likely to develop. Uh, he's had skin checks before, which means that he's uh, in, a, in a risk group. And we know that sometimes uh, some skin cancers can develop uh, as a very small lesion. And one of the things that we look at, uh, particularly for squamous cell carcinoma, uh, uh, which is one of the non-melanoma skin cancer types, is uh, tenderness, particularly tenderness on uh, pressure. So it probably is worth just getting your GP to have a bit of a look at that uh, because it could be a really uh, very early skin cancer. And, of course, the best time to treat a skin cancer is early, uh, which means you have um, uh, the minimal uh, downtime, the minimal, minimal risk of scarring uh, with that treatment. Okay. Uh, John is next. Good day, John. Good morning. Yeah, uh, what would you like to ask? Uh, more a comment. So I've got yep. a little bit of a question, though. Uh, First of all, like I had uh, melanoma removed together with most of my right ear mm. 11 years ago, and also my father died from melanoma. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, now, first of all, that melanoma on my ear was dismissed as uh, non-melanoma right, yeah. by two GPs before um, yeah. the th third one uh, thought, oh, it could be, and uh, did a biopsy right, and sent yeah. it off. Um, 
and so you know one has to wonder you know just how uh, good a GP's check is mm. and so uh, the other comment is that when we when I was at school uh, we didn't wear hats yeah I, I never wore a hat to school in all my schooling and uh, with the short hair that men or boys had in those days uh, obviously the ears were a prime target yeah and the other, my question is, uh, I've seen suggestions that uh, significant UV exposure can occur from uh, fluorescent lighting. Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, could he comment on that? All right, John, a lot to talk about there. Dr. <laughs> Stephen Schumacher is our guest from the Australasian College of Dermatologists. Let's start with the last one, which is the fluorescent light. Yes, fluorescent lights uh, do emit uh, a very small amount of uh, ultraviolet uh, radiation, particularly UVA, which is what we call a near ultraviolet uh, radiation. And uh, there are a number of very rare medical conditions uh, where this can be uh, an issue, of people who are very sensitive to uh, light or ultraviolet light. Um, but uh, uh, the other thing uh, um, that we've got to realise is that fluorescent tubes are now going out a little bit because um, you know uh, low voltage lights are coming in uh, which don't emit uh, ultraviolet radiation. Uh, some fluorescent tubes um, are covered by plastic diffusers which actually block all of the ultraviolet light uh, and that's actually quite common. And the other thing is that uh, fluorescent tubes are often positioned uh, more than a metre away from the skin. So in the old days, we used to have uh, fluorescent uh, desk lamps, but these have sort of gone out now. Um, but, uh, uh, and the ultraviolet, uh, uh, sorry, the uh, fluorescent tubes are usually up on the ceiling. So if they're more than a metre away from the skin, uh, the ultraviolet radiation is uh, significantly reduced. Okay. So uh, I suppose the bottom line is fluorescent tubes, a little bit of ultraviolet radiation, but for the vast majority of us, that's not a problem, um, except for that very small group of people that have got um, particular skin conditions which uh, can be affected by uh, uh, very low doses of ultraviolet radiation. Okay, now something else that John was talking about, which is the fact that it was his third doctor he went to before he got... uh, uh, you know, a, a referral, I think, to a specialist possibly or had the biopsy yep. done. Yep. So I suppose if you're concerned enough to go to your GP about something that you think might be a, a problem, then you've got to say to them, I want you to refer me or I want you to biopsy this. Uh, look, that's one of the issues. Um, although the, 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 I suppose the problem with um, uh, melanomas and some skin cancers is that uh, we talk about uh, how they uh, look, and particularly with melanomas, as I mentioned before, it's something which is uh, usually five cent piece size or bigger. It's usually flat. It's usually black. It's usually regular, and it's usually changing over a period of a uh, of a few months. And that probably uh, is around about 90% of melanomas. So there's a small group of melanomas, maybe 10, uh, 10 or 15%, which don't uh, look like that. And it may only be a change uh, or something that the patient or a patient relative uh, has actually picked up. So I think the important thing is uh, see your general practitioner. And most GPs uh, in Australia are actually pretty good at diagnosing uh, skin cancer. Uh, If the GP reassures you, um, uh, but if it changes or you're still concerned about it, go back and just say, look, I'm really concerned about this. 
um, uh, because of, in uh, his particular case, his father's died of a melanoma, or I think it's changed over the last couple of months. And do you think it needs a biopsy, or do you think it needs uh, for you to send me to somebody else? Okay. That's probably the way to go. Right. Don't just take a reassurance and ignore it. If okay. you're con- still concerned, back to the doctor or go and see another doctor. And there are some GPs, like the one I go to, uh, that does have a bit of a specialising in skin conditions. So if you're lucky enough to have that, that might be even better for you. Um, um, Paper Chucker says, uh, my father has had skin cancers removed. He's lived his entire life in New Zealand. So it's not just the strong Australian sun, but I suppose it's that outdoor thing as well and prune face says when i was young my friends and i were always spending a great deal of time sunbaking on the beach we were bronzed aussies now my face and hands look like dried apricots or cornflakes i'm sorry now um george good morning good morning Rod. yes george and that's a doctor good doctor there i just wanted to inquire as regards to uh an article that's in the the paper that uh friend of mine actually uh, asked me about today in regards to uh, some trials from some immunotherapy drugs. I think it was a combination of two immunotherapy drugs uh, that was particularly uh, applied to melanoma cancers and there was uh, uh, one patient had 100% remission and others had very good results. Okay. Uh, and I'm just wondering if uh, he wanted, could comment uh, firstly on, uh, on that, if he could uh, okay. enlighten us on... Because uh, I think immunotherapy drugs are what... Uh, basically is more effective against uh, melanoma rather than obviously chemotherapy agents. Yeah. All righty, George, thank you very much. Doctor? Yes, look, that's uh, exactly right. Uh, what's happened up until uh, sort of uh, five or six years ago, uh, really if you had a melanoma, the treatment uh, was to cut it out. Uh, there were a number of uh, chemotherapeutic agents uh, available and some radiation therapy but they weren't all that particularly good. Um, so if you had a melanoma that had spread, uh, even though we had some chemotherapy or radiation therapy, it was still not particularly good news. However, over the last uh, five or six years, uh, there's been a development of uh, a number of agents, um, um, many of which we classify as immunotherapy uh, or immunotherapeutic agents, which have been used to treat uh, melanoma and uh, a number of other uh, uh, nasty cancers. And uh, what happens, these agents uh, cause or stimulate uh, the body's own immune system uh, to attack and destroy uh, the cancerous cells. And uh, these agents uh, in some patients are extremely good. And we know there have been quite a few patients who've had fairly advanced melanoma Uh, that have been treated uh, with um, uh, one or a combination of these agents and have had uh, really uh, uh, fabulously good results. So we can't say it's a cure, but uh, certainly in a group of patients, usually patients who've had melanomas that have spread to other areas, treating them uh, with these agents have uh, made a remarkable difference. Okay, good news there. Lynn, good morning. Oh, good morning, gentlemen. My problem started um, back in the 80s and 90s with sunbeds. Oh, okay, yep. So that's (coughs) obviously in many parts of the country, that's been banned now. Thank goodness. So what I've ended up with is um, having half my nose removed. Oh, dear. Melanoma in my back, which so I was, the doctor told me I was dead in six months. How long ago was that? November. 
Oh, Lynn, that's terrible. Yeah, and my well, mine actually started from a pimple on my nose that wouldn't heal. Oh, really? And that's the only reason that I actually went to my doctor because I couldn't work out why my nose. You know, yeah. I cleaned my face and I thought, oh, why, why isn't that healing? But the problem now that I've got, um, I've got to be checked now every three months. You're that's right. how critical it is. But the problem I have in my nose is from the radiation that I've had, um, I have no internal filtration system oh, now. Oh, lean. So what happens... Uh, I'm having all types of chest problems because there's no um, any yeah. dust. Oh, Lynn, a, oh, that sounds. Oh, I'm alive. That's amazing. I know, and you know, that's a you know, every day above ground is a good, good day. I'm sure. Yes. And I so, obviously hope that you stay that way, and you know, you improve, and you, you've already proved your doctor wrong so far, and I hope that keeps going. Yes, I'm just. I, I, I wonder if the hair will ever grow back. Mm. You know, the okay. fine hair in your nose will ever grow back. All right. I, yeah, Lynn, I'll get Stephen to comment that. But thank you very much, and I, we really all wish you the very best, Stephen. I suppose that is a warning, isn't it? Look, absolutely, and um, we're, we're quite lucky in Australia that the um, solariums have been banned. Uh, this happened uh, uh, six or seven years ago uh, in, in uh, I think, all states now, and certainly uh, in places like the states, many of the states of uh, many of the states in the United States have followed uh, Australia's lead uh, in banning solariums. Uh, solariums um, uh, emitted uh, UVA or uh, ultraviolet A light. And that's the uh, uh, radiation spectrum which uh, reduces skin immunity. And uh, we've seen um, um, a, a spike in the number of uh, melanomas, particularly uh, in people that have had or, or spent time in solariums. And uh, so it's right. actually good that that's been banned. What about Lynn losing a nose hair? That was, must be a dreadful thing. Um, and, you know, will that grow back, do you think? Look, unfortunately, probably not. It sounds to me that Lynn's had uh, radiotherapy as uh, part of the treatment for her skin cancer on the nose. And uh, one of the side effects of radiotherapy uh, on hair-bearing skin um, is that you do tend to lose the hair in that particular area. Now, what happened inside the nose, you've got these uh, little hairs which uh, filter um, and uh, those hairs would have been affected also by the uh, by the radiation. And uh, okay. if you lose those, it tends to be fairly, fairly permanent. All right. We've got a lot of calls we want to get to, and Dr. Stephen Schumach is our guest, and let's hope we can get through all of them because they all sound fascinating. Julie is next. Hello, Julie. Oh, good morning. Yeah. Yes. Um, I heard some time ago that they thought that the BCG injections protected people against skin cancer. Now, I'm in my late 70s and I have a lot of friends this age. None of us has skin cancer and yet all of us, well, all, most of us spent a lot of time on the beach. And one friend said, yes, we spent all Sunday, Saturday and Sunday at the beach and all Tuesday peeling. Yeah. And I know that this was the case. I mean, we all peeled because yeah. we were affected by the sun, but not one of us has skin cancer. Mm, okay. Now, oh, sorry, yeah too that they talked about uh, some immunity being built up by exposure to the sun 
uh, not extreme exposure, but regular exposure. Yes, I know. Can you comment on those two things? All right. Okay, Julie. Uh, Stephen. Um, well, the BCG vaccination, which is not uh, doesn't tend to happen so much these days in Australia, but it's basically a vaccination for tuberculosis, and that was very common um, up until probably the uh, the late seventies. Um, and it is used sometimes as an um, adjuvant, and what that means is an agent to increase immunity uh, of something else which may be given at that same time. And that may be the reason that it's got into folklore um, as uh, being an, an agent which uh, reduces the, uh, the rate of okay. uh, skin cancer, but there's actually no evidence for that at all. And um, I think that uh, your group of uh, Julie have probably been fairly lucky, uh, but the, there's still some time for for, for your group to uh, to develop skin cancer as time goes on. Hardly good news. Peter is next. Good day, Peter. Good morning. How are you? Not too bad. You want to talk about uh, zinc? Yes, uh, I had a skin check some time ago, and uh, the doctor said that you need to get a sunscreen that's got six percent zinc or more in it, and the other sunscreens aren't as good as okay. if no good. And uh, you need that 6% to block the UVB rays. I just wanted to okay. find out. Okay, yeah, very good question. You've got to look, obviously, at the... Uh the ingredients on the side. Stephen uh, Schumach, what do you think? Um, look, there's a, uh, basically you can divide sunscreens into two types. There's the uh, physical blockers, in other words, sunscreens that have agents in them that reflect the ultraviolet light or the heat, and these are the ones that contain uh, metal, um, particularly zinc or titanium. Now, these agents, or these sunscreens, uh, tend to block actually closer to visible light. So it's usually a UVA a little bit better and uh, possibly some visible light as well. Uh, so uh, there's a suggestion because they have a greater spectrum of protection uh, that in certain people these may be uh, 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 better sunscreens. So certainly if you're out and about uh, in the sun all day long, uh, you work outdoors, it might be better having a, a metallic or a zinc or titanium-containing sunscreen. So why yep. isn't this advertised more? Why don't the people who make these sunscreens make more of a deal out of this? Because there's no, this is really, I mean, this is a theoretical um, advantage. Um, uh, there's no, uh, I suppose, uh, uh, hard and fast evidence uh, that using uh, a metallic sunscreen is likely to lead further down the track uh, to uh, reduce levels of skin cancer um, over and above uh, what protection you would get uh, from a sunscreen which contains chemicals. So most sunscreens or many sunscreens that are used are, uh, use chemical blockers which basically absorb the ultraviolet uh, um, light and that's trans transformed into heat rather than reflecting it. And they're much more cosmetically um, uh, acceptable sunscreens because you put them on and they're invisible. Okay. Um, so there's these two types of sunscreens. Um, the SPF rating uh, is specifically uh, rated for UVB, and they're about the same for UVB. It's just that the metallic sunscreens are perhaps slightly better when it comes to the... Uh, uh, UVA or the visible uh, radiation, but they look like sunscreen, so they, you know, they've got that white, white appearance when you actually put them on. So they're less cosmetically acceptable to many people. Okay, Louise, good morning. Oh, good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Uh, not bad. That's good. Um, I've always been told by my GP 
that if you've got a skin cancer, you should never get it burnt or frozen off because the roots underneath the skin could be travelling. How true is that? Look, I think it's important to um, um, consider what sort of sunscreen, what sort of uh, skin cancer, I should say, it actually is. And um, mostly uh, the treatment of uh, skin cancer is to uh, cut it out. That is certainly the usual treatment and certainly for the vast majority of, uh, of uh, skin cancers that's the most appropriate treatment. But sometimes if it's a small or very well localised skin cancer we sometimes burn it off uh, using heat um, with an electrical machine or a uh, laser or sometimes if it's a very thin sunscreen we can treat it by freezing it because we know that we can get underneath that. But I think if you are having your skin cancer treated by burning or freezing it's important to make sure that the doctors doing that has done quite a few of those because okay. uh, it's very technique dependent as opposed to cutting these things out. Alright, thank you very much Louise. Graham is next. Hello Graham. Hello, good morning. Yes. Now, this is a very interesting situation. Uh, tell me about uh, what happened. Oh, well, in, back in the 60s, of course, when they were letting the bombs off up at uh, Maralinga, yeah. after it had finished, they, we went into uh, engineers' a responsibility to find out where uh, the uh, ground had been uh, irradiated yeah. around us. And in some cases, we found where, say, they had a bird, they set them off on a tower. The ground underneath, which up around Maralinga, of course, is all sand, yeah. had been turned into uh, glass. Yeah. And uh, walking on it at a crunch, and of course, but no long, wasn't long before your senses, uh, the senses that we wore, would pick up this, and, and uh, you'd be ordered out of that area. We were up there for, for uh, oh, two or three months doing this work, and. Uh, we were certainly wrapped up in our double white suits that yeah. you see on the TV. Uh, very seldom wore them on our face. Uh, mm. Only when we went down to, to a particular... I was in charge of a section that went into the, un, the one that burst underground and put this big hole there. And the dust in there you had to watch. We certainly didn't get gamma radiation because that only occurs at the time of the burst. But we certainly were subject to alpha and beta particles, which if they got into the, particularly the beta particles, if you breathe them in or else they landed on your face and you got into a, an area where you had a skin lesion, they, yeah. they would uh, develop into a... Now, it took about 40 years for the vet's affairs to agree to us being treated. Disgraceful. And... Uh, since then, I'm now nearly 90 years of age. So okay, you've gone okay then. Yeah, it's gone. But you've had a skin cancer removed. I've had about uh, oh, seven or eight removed right. in the last four or five years. Okay, Graham. Well, thank you very much for what you did then. And I hope you're going okay. If you're nearly 90, you're going okay. Yes. All right, Ed. Thanks so much for calling. It's a remarkable situation. Um, look, Justin rang and he couldn't stay, and I'm sorry about that, Justin. We're just about to get to you. He said, my young brother is 32, is having uh, immunotherapy for melanoma, got 12 months, but 13 months on, is doing well. He took medication when he was 12 that turned his skin white. 
Melanoma's, melanoma spot did not show on his side until it was too late. Fran says, I've been visiting a skin specialist for a number of years. While I am totally confident in his knowledge and skills, the cost has become prohibitive. I'm reluctant to change, but may have to. Are there any regulations about maximum charges that dermatologists can make? Um, uh, look, a difficult question. Um, uh, dermatologists uh, run, uh, run businesses usually, and uh, like, like all doctors, to be honest and um, you know set their fees based on um, on uh, you know the situation uh, where they're practicing uh, etc but look if you are having some financial difficulties I'm sure it is reasonable to bring that up with your doctor just say uh, that uh, you know this is becoming expensive uh, becoming expensive seeing you uh, is there something that you can do for me and I think most uh, most doctors um, will uh, consider that and uh, hopefully uh, will reduce the fee Okay. All right. Uh, good luck with that, Fran. Chris from Paddington wants to know, when is sunscreen out of date? Sunscreen uh, will have a uh, date uh, on it, so it'll be an expiry date on the, uh, on the bottle. Uh, so it's important to look at that. And uh, with that expiry date, that assumes that you're keeping uh, the sunscreen uh, bottle or the sunscreen tube in a reasonable environment. So in other words, you haven't got it on the dashboard of the car uh, that's been left in the sun. And mostly that's a year or two down the track. Now, once you open the sunscreen, uh, you really should use that within a year. Um, because uh, with an open sunscreen bottle or tube, it's possible for the um, sunscreening agent to become contaminated, uh, even though they do have some preservatives in them. So uh, if it's open, use it within a year, and uh, make sure you uh, you look at the sunscreen uh, expiry date on the on the packet. Okay, we've only got about 30 seconds to go, but Dr. Stephen Schumach, you would, of course, advise people, if they have any concerns at all, start with their GP and ask for a referral. Absolutely, Luke. GPs in Australia we know are extremely good at treating skin cancers and diagnosing them. Uh, the GP should be the first point of call. Uh, the GP may treat you or, if necessary, refer you off to a dermatologist or a surgeon. Dr Stephen Schumach from the Australasian College of Dermatologists, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you very much, Rod. Well, that's another podcast from ABC Local Radio Overnights. I'm Rod Quinn. Thanks for listening.